This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. Welcome once again to the SJP Wrestling Podcast. Uh, a couple of quick things I want to mention before we get on to today's awesome guest. First of all, well, I say a couple of quick things. There's a couple of quick thank yous, really. First of all, thank you so, so much for all the positive feedback that we've been getting since the show returned. Uh, the initial show with our good buddy Tanner from Radio Techers. And also, thank you so much for the positive feedback to my wife's debut uh, in any sort of podcasting form. Um, everyone has told her how well she's how well she did. She was very nervous. She had a great time, and she's really grateful for the people giving her positive feedback on that. Something else we received positive feedback on was also the awesome foursome format, which um, I think is the name we're going to settle upon and, and, and go with, I guess. Um, so it's great knowing that people are enjoying that new idea, that new format. That was uh, primarily my wife's idea, if I'm honest. But I'm going to try and uh, lay claim to as much as I possibly can because I'm cheeky like that. Um, um, one last big thank you once again to the band Awake by Design for their single The Coming Tide being the new entrance music or intro music and outro music for the SJP Wrestling Podcast go check out the band you can find them on Spotify YouTube all over the place Twitter, Facebook everywhere Awake by Design or Awake by Design UK is normally the handles you need to search Uh, very worth checking out the album the new album the self-titled album is fantastic the acoustic unplugged album that they are releasing i believe this week uh, is also very very good i've been fortunate enough via my uh, younger brother who is the main songwriter vocalist etc i've been very fortunate to have a little advanced listen to that and if um, unplugged acoustic style music uh, and a couple of covers on there as well is your thing definitely by all means check that out right that's all the um i suppose necessary housekeeping out the way Let's get on with it, shall we? My guest today uh, is someone who I feel that I've known for quite a while now because of various interactions that I have had with this individual. But yet this is the first time that we've ever actually spoken 
sort of person to person, I guess, spoken properly. It's always been interactions online, but for quite a while now. Um, someone that I'm very, very grateful to have, I suppose, as a mutual on Twitter, if, if that's the term people use. And so and I'm hugely grateful for all the support they give to this show, uh, Chain Wrestling, and pretty much every other venture that I, Magsy, and everyone else involved with various podcasts and so on um, uh, have. The support from this individual is is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so I want to be, you know, a big beaming smile on my face, effectively, as I very happily welcome Scottish Danny to the SJP Wrestling Podcast. How are we doing, sir? Hello, everyone. Thank you, Sai, for having me on. Um, and thank you for that wonderful intro. Yep. Ah, no problem. I'm glad you're here, mate. I'm glad you're here. I suppose before we get into what we're going to be doing today, do you want to just let everybody out there know a little bit about um, how you first sort of stumbled across this this crazy world of uh, big sweaty men fighting in their pants, how you became a wrestling fan? I became a wrestling fan uh, through, I think it was one of my uncles who uh, brought around the um, one of those early Hulkamania tapes. Um, this was in '97, and okay. uh, he it had uh, the Big Boss Man versus Hulk Hogan in the steel cage, and I remember uh, seeing Big Boss Man getting superplexed off the steel cage and thinking, "Oh my God, he's dead!" and just being. <laughs> Just being captured by that uh, moment, and uh, I would say I stopped watching that. Uh, I must have watched that loads of times, but that really became a fan uh, thanks to the Royal Rumble 2000, which was shown on uh, Channel 4. Um, yeah. And uh, I think there's a slew of people who became wrestling fans thanks to that one broadcast. But um, yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, Royal Rumble 2000 on Channel 4, you're right there. Um, it's funny the amount of guests. I mean, I've done I, what we all know, 52, 53, 50 plus episodes anyway of, of this particular show. And whether I'm speaking to um, people such as yourself that I, I've met via via doing the show or um, people like, for example, wrestlers themselves, the likes of Yastin Reese, David Eaton and so on. How many of them say that that 2000 Royal Rumble really resonated with them? Uh, and David Eaton, especially seeing the 2000 Royal Rumble on Channel 4 is what started him off and now he's the EVM Evesham Wrestling Heavyweight Champion and so on so it's really interesting uh, how many people that event influenced I guess totally it's a great pay-per-view as well absolutely brilliant pay-per-view except May Young's uh, expose well, <laughs> yeah less said about that the better I think I mean that's effectively what <laughs> the first show they had um, on Channel 4 and it effectively was what made Channel 4 decide not to renew the contract totally you know, I mean, there you go. That's uh, that's actually the era WWE, I guess. Some good and some not so good. Um, <laughs> what we all will be doing today, just for the the listeners out there who um, may not have heard the first awesome, awesome uh, show that I did with my good lady Sharon, um, is we're going to be doing another one of those. And the, and the basic format is the guest brings um, three wrestling matches. To, to the show and it could be any wrestling matches for any reason it could be something they've never seen before that they want to look at or it could be matches that they've seen a hundred times and absolutely adore it could be uh they, there could be a theme you could pick three ladder matches whatever just three matches you wanted to bring to the show um and then i would pick a fourth uh, on the back of looking at the three that the the guest has brought in to try and make it uh, and try to make the fourth one something a little bit out of the box, a little bit different to the others, so to speak. 
we watch them separately, make a few notes, discuss them briefly on the show, and then we rank them from worst, in our opinion, to best. Uh, basically trying to see how people's opinions differ bearing upon personal taste age uh, and and so on um there is no right or wrong answers wrestling is very subjective it's just a, a discussion you know people sharing opinions i guess so danny the three matches you sent me i'm not gonna lie you could have given me a hundred guesses as to what you were going to send i wouldn't have got any of these right <laughs> it's quite a quite a surprise so the names on here and i'll be honest it's the, the one in particular, there's so much going on in that pay-per-view. Well, that, sorry, not that pay-per-view, that, that show. There's so much going on in that particular match that I completely forgot happened. As, as I did on the very first uh, show of this format, we let the guests choose where you want to go first. So which one do you want to talk about first? Well, the first one I want to talk about is that one you just brought up, the um, WWE Tag Team Championship Fatal 4-Way match uh, yes. from the uh, January... 13th, 2005, SmackDown. And uh, why I want to bring this one up is uh, purely for the nostalgia um, aspect of it. Um, I, as you know, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, um, I'm, I'm probably the biggest Bastion Brothers fan that is on earth today. <laughs> and uh, this, one, to me, was their best match. Um, there was so much action. And I remember watching this when I was 14. And uh, I remember thinking the Bashams are not going to win because they'd spent the entire year of 2004 losing and wrestling matches on Velocity. And uh, when they actually won, I remember just going, <laughs> just being crazy, <laughs> especially with some of those names in the matches like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's, I would definitely choose that. What did you think of the match? I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I'll be honest with you, it, you say about sort of a trip down memory lane or the nostalgia aspect, it, you're, you're 100% correct there. I I can remember the Bashams picking up the tag team titles when they were part of uh, JBL's cabinet, I guess, was the stable it was it was yes. called, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the match that they won, which is obviously this one that, that you've brought to us today. And also, I don't remember Rey Mysterio and RVD being tag champions. I don't remember Eddie Guerrero and Booker T tagging together. I don't remember Luther Reigns and Mark Jindrak tagging together. So this was like every time uh, I find the match on the network, press play. And every time the team came out, I was like, oh, right. I don't remember that. Oh, right. I don't remember that either. So it was quite interesting for me looking back. And it was almost as though I'd never seen it before. But I must have because I was watching SmackDown and, and Raw every week around that time. But yeah, it was... Um, it was quite good. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I, I love the, the title belts themselves. I think they, they look like proper tag titles, don't they? The belts that RVD and Rey Mysterio bring to the ring. Yeah. The, uh, I believe they're just like a rip-off of the WWF tag team titles, but just with blue in the middle. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, they're a lot better than the ones that are... Um, they look like pennies now, Oh, they? God, yeah. And even <laughs> the, ones that were, the ones that were on Raw at this time as well, I wasn't a fan of. But um, no. I liked these a lot. Yeah, they they were nice. They were nice. It it's quite interesting for me because it's an elimination tag match, isn't it? Mm. Four corners. Um, you, you know, you pin, you go to the you pin, you go to the back, and everyone carries on without you, sort of thing. That sort of format, I, I'm not a massive fan of because I tend to find that with tag teams in that sort of in that sort of role, or, or like the four ways or the three ways tag team matches, I don't understand why there's two guys in the ring and they can tag in and out in any corner if that makes sense mm. to me if, if it's all four teams competing 
four guys should be in the ring and then four guys should be on the corner and you only tag your partner and so on. Does that make sense? Yep, that t- makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just from the mind of Vince McMahon, so it's not going to well. make sense anyway. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is something else as well. I mean, you mentioned Vince there. We're, we're probably going to go off every now and again on sort of little tangents here and there, but you, you, you mentioned Vince there. So he gets a lot of grief nowadays for decisions made and, and, and so on. What are your thoughts overall on, on Vince McMahon? I mean, he's... To me, and well, I say to me, it's not just to me. It's obvious when you look at the facts. He's the most successful wrestling promoter of all time, mm, without a doubt. Yeah, he is. Um, I just the, the probably the best thing about Vince McMahon uh, these days is that he's he, you love him or hate him, he's stayed consistent to what uh, has built up the WWE. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, whether the products not that great at the moment or whatever he's still making money hand over fist isn't he so <laughs> Definitely, yeah. even after all the questionable decisions but yep he's still yeah. there yeah that's right that's right um the bashing brothers eliminate eliminate sorry can't get my words like jindrak and reigns uh relatively early on um but there was an odd moment of eddie guerrero grabbing mark jindrak's jindrak's butt i don't quite understand what that was all about <laughs> I'm not sure to be honest with you. No, that was actually a bit out of the blue, but there we go. Yeah. And um, we end up with uh, effectively the Bashams um, and RVD and Rey Mysterio. But it's almost a handicap to finish, isn't it? Because Mysterio, um, his partner RVD, has got a knee injury. Uh, he gets hit by the steel steps. The Bashams use the steps on the outside to take him out. Very, very clever, I suppose, in, in the world of tag team wrestling if, if a guy's got an injury take him out and you only got to deal with one opponent and ray basically ray mysterio basically faces the bashams on his own for a few minutes and he looks like an absolute star here doesn't he mm, definitely yeah i mean uh i was gonna say in this match uh there was a lot of storyline advancement with uh, eddie Guerrero and ray mysterio heading for their wrestlemania 21 match that so that's why i was uh, a big fan of as well even though eddie Guerrero was eliminated second but mm. um yeah you know, and uh, Rob Van Dam's injury, oh, he just—he just didn't look like he—he—he he he shouldn't have been there at all, in my opinion. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's handled relatively well. Uh, they need to get the titles off Mysterio and RVD because he's got—he's got a serious injury there, hasn't he? That kept him yeah. out for a while. Yeah. So he's come to the ring in almost like a big long leg brace isn't it it's almost like yeah. he's strapped up and and so on uh, he can barely bend his leg he, he gingerly climbs onto the middle rope to do his poses and so on when the ref uh, sorry the, the uh ring announcer introduces them and then he spends the whole match on the apron ray wrestles the majority of it he takes the bump with the steps and then he's carried out on a stretcher and then they ultimately as as we've said danny they, they drop the titles to the bashams i yeah. suppose i suppose in a way it gets the belts off the champions who mm. have picked up this injury. Um, and it happens in the ring rather than having to vacate the titles, which sometimes can be a bit demeaning to a championship at times, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm never a fan of seeing somebody trying to work hurt, but I think this was as safe as you could make it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I see your point. Yeah. One thing I really like about this match is uh, the finish because uh, if you notice, Danny Basham uh, keeps his head away from the referee when he goes for the pin because uh, in all the Basham brothers matches where they did that that twin switch thing, um, they kept their faces away from the referees because, shocker here, they're not actually twins. 
No. <laughs> no, that's right. I mean, I knew one was a, a Basham, so to speak, and the other one was not. Um, <laughs> but I did have to Google it to look at which one was which. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but it's amazing how a shaved head being roughly the same build and the same ring gear can make people look alike, isn't it? Mm, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, why was it you picked this match then? Was it literally just because of your, your Basham's fandom? Yes, and uh, there's nostalgia of uh, watching that on Sky Sports 3 uh, back in 2005. I was, I was a massive fan watching that, and uh, and just the surprise as well. But um, we're going to get into the surprises in the other two matches. But um, yeah, it was definitely, I don't know how many times I've watched that match, but um, yeah, it was, it was definitely at the top. Yeah, okay. Um, the finish on on. Uh, Rey Mysterio you say about the switch that the Bashams do that that's that's great that's you know it's a clever little heel trick and so on but that powerbomb that sit-out powerbomb that one of the Bashams does that looked that looked brutal didn't it mm, the brain damage that's what it's called oh okay and, uh, yeah <laughs> I told you I was the biggest Basham Brothers fan <laughs> um, yeah the brain damage by um, Danny Basham uh, that uh, he, he started using that in OVW and uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, uh, you don't see that finisher a lot these days. Mm. Is anyone using it? I'm not. I don't think so. I don't think no. so. it looked. It looked insane, didn't it? Mm, mm. It looked really just, as you said, brutal. Just yeah, yeah a good finisher. And one thing that took away from this match for me, though, whilst we're looking at sort of positives and negatives, I guess, mm. is when. RVD was um, on the outside. He'd been hit by the, the, the steps by the Basham. He'd basically been, been put out of commission for the match. And Ray was Ray was battling on his own against both Bashams. Every time he got a little bit of offense in, or every time he got a little bit ahead, he would roll out the ring and go check on RVD again. Mm. Now, the first time and the second time, I could understand that happening. But when he did it over and over and over again, it kind of just got a bit annoying. You know, he just kept shouting, oh, God, Rob, oh, Rob, Rob, are you okay? Oh, And I was just like, mate, just go defend your titles. He's told you to go defend. Do you know what I mean? I know it's only a small thing, but I find that a little bit irritating. Maybe maybe Ray's overacting uh, had an impact there. I'm not sure. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, totally. And there's a great little moment as well where Taz yells, what a maneuver, obviously coining a Vince McMahon phrase on commentary. That that, that got a smile from me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, though, Bernie, I, I enjoyed this match. I mean, it's again, it's something that if you hadn't bought this up, there's a strong chance I would never have seen this in my life again. You know, it's one of those yeah. matches that I, I forgot happened. It's, it's a lot of tag teams that I forgot happened. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought this to the table because I, I did enjoy watching it. It was excellent stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. Um, so, where would you like to go next out of the three? So, the second match I'm going to choose is um, from TNA Lockdown 2010. It was uh, Mr. Ken Anderson versus Kurt Angle in, um, I was about to say six hours, in a steel cage match. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I chose this one for the storytelling element. Because the first one was the nostalgia. This is the storytelling. Because if you you watch this match with a keen eye, there's a lot of story involved in throughout this match. But um, I'm interested. What did you think of the match? I I enjoyed this as well. I mean, there's a few things that I suppose not watching it, um, not watching it in order, not watching Impact, not watching the the weekly television 
back when I watched them because you know we very much watched this match cold, very much watched it as a standalone. There was a few things I didn't quite understand, but thankfully Mike Tenay on commentary, who I think is absolutely fantastic, hugely underrated commentator, he explains a few of these issues as we go along. So it kind of filled in the blanks for me. Mm. Um, there's some moments that I, I think are, are just brilliant, and it's all down. I mean, I'm, I'm a I'm a big Anderson fan anyway. That I, I thought the guy had a bit of a rough ride in WWE. He's obviously talented, um, but to me, it's all about Kurt Angle here. He is so good. Some of the stuff he does, the running up the the ropes in the corner to suplex Anderson off the top. That that sort of sort of standard angle spot, I guess. Mm. But it still looks spectacular every time you see it. Um, just just brilliant Kurt Angle stuff. I mean, I didn't quite get the whole you have to go through the cage door. You can't escape the cage over the top. That was a bit of an odd one for me. Um, mm. and, the, and then Mr. Anderson has the key to the padlock because apparently he won it on Impact the week yep. before. He uh, won it in a ladder match. And, uh, I mean, these, this was the feud ender of the program because they'd been feuding for about just shy of three months. Okay. And uh, it was a, a good way to get Ken into TNA as a main eventer. But, um, yeah, the the as I said, about the, uh, the, uh, the storytelling, I mean, Mike Tanay and Taz was a big... A big uh, part of that storytelling, as you said, uh, if you watch this match cold, um, I watched this match probably, I think it was like four days after it happened when they used to show it on Challenge TV. Yes, I um, remember. Mm, well, that, what a great time that was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was easy. We could watch Bullseye and TNA Impact on the same night. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I was watching uh, TNA religiously at this point, and um, this was definitely my favorite feud. And uh, it was a good way to end the program, to be honest, because after this, Kurt Angle took about, I think, a two-month break, um, and he would need it after the uh, the big spot in this match. What did you think of that? Um, are you referring to the moonsault? Yep. Yeah. It's just... So, I, I think how good Kurt Angle is or was apologies, how good Kurt Angle was as a mat wrestler, as a brawler, he could do the comedy side of things. He could work as a face, as a heel, all of that. And the, and the incredible wrestling matches he could have with virtually anybody. I think it's easy to forget just how picture perfect his moonsault was. Or sometimes I forget that he did a moonsault at all because of how good he was at other things. If you know what I mean, it kind of goes under the radar for me at times, but when I saw him go to the corner and start climbing, I thought he's going to come off the top of the cage. And it's just some of the camera angles as well. TNA sometimes I think gets let down or used to apologies, uh, used to let itself down with some of the production values they had. Mm. Um, maybe sometimes camera angles wouldn't be right, or sometimes it would look a little bit dated on screen um, because of the way it was filmed or lit or so on. But on this instance, you know, credit where it's due, TNA get it so right because the camera angles are perfect. The replays are perfect. Angles Moonsault is just insane because that is a tall cage as well. That's not like a, a little mini indie cage. That is a big steel cage he's jumping off, isn't it? Mm, definitely. I mean, this 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 uh, whole pay-per-view, to be honest, is quite a violent pay-per-view. There's a lot of blood and a lot of weapons and stuff like that. But this match, far and away, was the most violent. And uh, the uh, even the part when he was cutting uh, Ken's uh, face with the uh, dog tag. 
Yeah, yeah, and he was choking yeah. him as well at one stage, yeah, wasn't he, with, yeah, the, with the yeah. chain that the I think the chain that he was on. Yeah, yeah, and he was uh, choking him and then cut, slicing open his head and stuff. There was a lot of blood in this match, and mm. um, uh, like I said, this is probably my favorite Kurt Angle match. Um, and, wow, that's a big shite, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? Just, just for the uh, the storytelling uh, compartment of it, because it was like. Uh, the other matches that they had on pay-per-view before this came nowhere near to this. It it seemed like this was laid out very, very well. Mm. And uh, even, uh, what did you think of the finish? Um, yeah, I was going to get to that. I mean, I mean, before we do, I mean, Kurt Angle, you, you mentioned there about the blood and so on. He gets opened up really, really early, doesn't he? Mm. Mm. It's like crazy early in the match, Angle's bleeding. It doesn't look like it was intentional. I, I may be completely wrong there. Perhaps he was just so good at what he was doing. I don't know. But we get some... Um, some pretty insane moments when Mr. Anderson also uses his wrist tape to choke Kurt Angle for a while. That looked really something as simple as that, just choking him. It looked looked really graphic and brutal because of how red Kurt went and so on. And Kurt Angle busts out the rolling German suplexes, which I'm a big fan of as well. But you you mentioned the finish there, Danny. I think this is quite clever because I mean, in a way, it harks back to the whole Austin McMahon steel cage match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, mm. um, where Austin goes to leave a few times, McMahon flips him off, gives him the finger. Austin says, well, I sod it, goes back to give him some more. Mm. We get that with Angle and Anderson here. Angle has battered him, hit him with a moonsault, uh, and all these other things. Goes to leave, and I mean, I, I watched this match on, on YouTube with a link that you, you know, very kindly sent me. We don't see the middle finger. It's all pixelated out. But obviously, we know what's going on. He's not waving Talar, is he? Let's be honest. He's, you know. <laughs> um, and Angle goes back in again. It, it, it's, I think it's twice he goes back in, isn't it? Yeah. And that I enjoy because it always gets a good reaction from the crowd and it always makes the guy going back in look badass. But then there's almost like a little swerve where it looks like he's made a mistake because Mr. Anderson hits Kurt Angle with a low blow, hits the mic check and he crawls to the open door and you're thinking, Kurt, the fact that you've gone back in there, it looks like it's cost you the match now. Mm. But then Angle kind of grabs his ankle, puts him in the ankle lock and then all the uh, Mr. Anderson's facial expressions, Angle shouting, and eventually Angle does go to escape the cage, spitting on Mr. Anderson and, and stamping on his bollocks just for good measure as he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, the, the finish was literally a stamp on the nuts. Yeah. So he's won a cage match by stamping on a man's balls. So that's quite an achievement there. I thought it was really well done. And you mentioned the, the sort of storytelling aspect of the match. That's literally the last note I have here. It says, great storytelling. Absolutely loved it. Mm. Definitely. I like that they hear you brought up um, Vince McMahon versus uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin because the finish was, like you said, very similar where mm. the guy's calling him back into the ring to uh, taunt him and then the babyface goes in and gets some more in, like the crowd and stuff. So, yeah, it was def- definitely on my uh, top three list for this. I think it's quite, and this just popped in my head now, that the whole escape the cage concept which has been around for donkeys of years hasn't it let's be honest um i'm not that big a fan of that i know it sounds daft because majority of cage matches are you have to escape the cage i i appreciate that Mm. but from my aspect if i'm looking at it as and and you've got it as you know a good guy versus bad guy heel face dynamic and you want the 
the baby face to look strong. You want him to look like the hero, the Superman, and so on. Trying to escape the cage sometimes looks to me like he's running away or it's a bit cowardly. Mm. I don't like the idea of the the sort of pinfall or submission aspect being took away from a cage match. I think that can be quite important with regards to the storytelling side of things. But here, the way they do it with Angle going back again and again and then thinking, right, he's done, I've destroyed him, I'm moving on now. I think that was really a really well done, clever way of getting around that hang up I have. If, mm. that, if that makes sense. Yep, totally. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking there. Um, did you ever see the Big Show versus JBL from No Way Out 2005? The cage I, match. I will have. Yes. Mm, you have to yeah. refresh my mind. What happened? A lot. A lot of sort of mid. I hate the term, but it's, it's what people say. <laughs> Noughties. A yeah. lot of mid noughties wrestling kind of blends into one for me, mm. really. Understand. Yep. Um, well, the finish of that was probably the most. I don't know how to describe it. was the most unique finish for a cage match ever because the Big Show chokeslams JBL into the ring, well, through the ring, and he, he collapsed. The, um, he goes, there's like a hole. Oh, yeah. And then he crawls he goes out un, yeah. from under the ring. Yeah. And I think that was a really good finish. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah, that was very clever because he, he sort of crawls out under the apron, doesn't he? And yeah. he's obviously yeah. touched the floor first. So, yeah, that's that's very clever. And I like. I like little bits of creativity like that. Mm. See, to me, a cage match nowadays has been watered down because you've mm. got Hell in a Cell, you've got you had Six Sides of Steel and TNA and, and Lockdown where every match was in a cage for the whole pay-per-view and yeah. you've got Elimination Chamber and all, all these different things. A cage match now, to me, seems like it's been quite watered down. It doesn't seem as big a deal anymore. But when I was younger, and I suppose to you as well, Danny, saying about how the big blue cage in that videotape sort of really resonated with you as a youngster... When I was younger, the cage match meant a big deal. It was a big, big thing that they were bringing the cage out. And that was going to be the end of a feud or it was going to be a big situation. If it was used sparingly like that, you can get away with an ordinary pinfall, submission, victory or escaping the cage or whatever. With how often cage matches have been used over the decades and of all the different variations as well now, a finish like you just described, the JBL Big Show finish, I really enjoy that because it seems like they have to be extra creative because there's so much of that similar match format now. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, at that point as well, they were having an, it seemed like they were having a cage match every week. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a look at some WCW from 99, 2000-ish. I think it's like 99. They've got the cage above the ring on Nitro pretty much every week because you know it's going to get used at some stage. There's a little run where it's there every single week. But no, again, I, this is a match that, I mean, I was watching TNA back, back in this time. Hmm. My wife and I are huge TNA fans. It was on Bravo here originally, then it was on Challenge, and you could yep. watch the pay-per-views for nothing as well. Yep. So weekly television, get the pay-per-views. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Great product at the time as well. Until you sent me the link to rewatch this, again, I'd forgotten this had happened. Hmm. But I thought it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, the SmackDown tag match, it does come across to me like a TV match. Yeah. Whereas this one does come across more like a pay-per-view match. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Excellent stuff. So, out uh, of the two matches we have left, where do you want to go? Um, I would say definitely number three, which is uh, Jeff Jarrett versus Steen for the NWA Championship from uh, yeah. Hard Justice 2006. 
um, this match. I've chosen this one because I watched this. Uh, my dad owned, I don't know if he still does or doesn't, but he owned a pub in Southampton called Danger of the South. And I remember watching this on the uh, big screen. Oh, and wow. uh, I was at this point, I would have been, I would have been uh, 15. And I remember watching the, the this match and being completely sucked into thinking, man, this is real because I did, this was well before I knew about anything about dirt sheets or backstage gossip or anything like that. And right. I, um, I, I don't want to spoil the finish, but yeah, uh, we'll 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 work through to the finish. Yeah, yeah, sure. And you basically have Sting versus Jarrett for the NWA World Title, as Danny said. Um, each competitor has a corner man, so to speak, uh, an equalizer, I guess. Sting is accompanied by Christian Cage, looking very much like, you know, with his little highlighted hair, little tiny chin beard, uh, boot cut jeans he's wearing. He looks very much like someone I used to buy weed off in the 90s. Um, <laughs> and then you have Scott Steiner, who was with Jeff Jarrett, who was the NWA World Champion at the time. Jarrett comes out in the he's wearing the the sort of boots and sort of shorts as opposed to trunks isn't he that i suppose Dolph ziggler wears as well and he's got this massive long yellow coat on he just all i could think of was he looks like a banana (laughs) he actually does he really does yeah it's crazy and he's carrying his his guitar obviously scott steiner looks as scott steiner would he looks incredible here what are your thoughts uh, on the six-sided ring danny because it was something that i'd never really seen before anywhere until tna bought it out and i saw it on bravo i would say i mean initially i got into tna in 2005 and it was there then but i was never a fan of it i liked the the traditional ring so when okay. hulk hogan and eric bischoff came to tna and got rid of that six-sided ring i actually liked that decision i know the majority of fans didn't because they kept getting chance but um no i just wasn't a fan i mean i it, i agree it brought difference um especially at that time like there was no wcw no nothing it was just wv mm. so if you're flipping the channels and you see that you're thinking oh that looks really good and i mean it even got a mention on wwe tv that's how much that it was it was uh different when uh i don't know if you remember that when paul Heyman laid out a open challenge for somebody and said if anyone wrestles in a six-sided ring eight-sided ring and he was just making <laughs> things like that. So, I mean, yeah. it was a bit, and it was really good for the merchandising standpoint. Um, but I just wasn't a fan of it, was you? I, I was the other way, mate. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Yeah. But, I mean, I thought it was great as a viewer. You, hmm. you listen to anyone who worked for TNA at this time. They said that the ropes were tighter, the ring was harder. So it was, it was harder to work hmm. in, I guess. But, I mean, I, I'm not a wrestler by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just a fan watching. And I loved the fact that here we are in 2005 2006 i'm i'm in my mid-20s at that stage i've been a wrestling fan for 15 years 16 years and for the first time in that time frame i'm seeing a different shaped wrestling ring and i was it kind of blew my mind for a moment the first time i saw it and then of course you see the the ultimate x matches where the the x the cables are hanging above the six-sided ring and you get that sort of camera view from above, and you can see the sort of hexagon shape with the ropes going across the top. I think visually it was it was very striking, and you got some great moments in TNA history in that six-sided ring as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I, do, I do agree. I do agree. I see your point completely. 
Um, what I'll just gonna ask you, what what um, did you like about this match? I'll be honest. I mean, we're gonna get to ranking them um, shortly when we sort of have a look at the last match, and then we'll put them in order of preference. Obviously, as as, as is the format we're doing today. But the biggest part for me liking this was the throwback aspect of seeing. It was TNA. It was Mike Tanay and Don West on commentary. Yeah. It was the entranceways coming out of that sort of tunnel, similar to what AEW do now. It was seeing Sting. It was seeing Jarrett. It was seeing Steiner, Christian Cage, the NWA, 10 pounds of gold championship there. The match itself, I, I think there was too much going on outside the ring for me. Mm-hmm. The interference by Christian and... Steiner, the ref bump and so on. It seemed to be I can imagine if you were watching it on a weekly basis and this this was the main event of the pay-per-view and you were fully invested, how frustrating you would have got with with the heels and how much you really wanted Christian Cage to come in and help Sting. And I get all of that. For me personally it, it says, I keep saying it on the show, but it, it says wrestling on the poster, it says mm. wrestling on the marquee, it says wrestling on the ticket. I want to see a wrestling match. The odd bit of interference I can I can tolerate, but it's almost like this was too far the other way. Mm. It was more sports entertainment than it was wrestling. If that makes sense. Yep, totally. Yep. Uh, so, um, why? Uh, as I was saying before, um, I I chose this because I really think this was the last time that I watched a uh, wrestling match and really believed that. that um, that everything was real. Okay. <laughs> As, oh, uh, wow. I mean, I was just a, a 15 year old teenager, but I was I remember thinking, wow, like this is like, as the, uh, I mean, I'll get into it later as well, but the finish really, I remember thinking, Christian did that on his own. He broke the script. He did that on his own. Why did he just betray yeah. Sting? And I, that got, I mean, at this time, uh, TNA, it, it wasn't on Bravo yet. It was on the wrestling channel. Do you remember the wrestling channel? Oh PwC. my goodness. Yes. Yep. You, you yep. used to get old World of Sport episodes yes. on there. And yep. oh, it was fantastic, Every, wasn't it? Yeah. I can't believe that went away. I mean, that was, that, that channel was brilliant. It had Ring of Honor, it had TNA. Uh, and then it went away in 2007, and then, then they uh, brought it to Bravo. But I remember uh, after this just being glued to the television thinking, why did Christian do this? Why? Why? And then I remember them airing a pre-tape where he just explained that uh, he was um, – he said something about he, – he was only did it for the World Heavyweight title. Yeah. And, uh, th- I mean, this this heel turn was very effective, Um to me but um we'll get into it as uh, i wrote down for the matches um i would say the match with lucky uh, it was so so to be honest with you because they were saving sting versus jeff jarrett for bound for glory 2006 which was i think three months from here okay and um i would say um so they, they were kind of going through the motions here and uh this was a this was a very good way of writing sting off of television to be honest yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, we'll quickly scan through a, a few of the things that happened in the match. I mean, there was a few references to the building being on fire. I didn't quite pick up on exactly what that was. Did you know anything about that? Yes. Um, there were, during the pre-show, I have this on DVD, um, there was a small fire that broke out on one of the pyro um, st- stages things. 
and um, they had to evacuate the building uh, for about 30 minutes. And uh, oh, wow. they'd, this was on the pre-show and they didn't want to just have dead air. So they had Don West, uh, a lot like WrestleMania this year when they had uh, the rain um, coming down. Yes. <laughs> a, a very much the same situation where they had to fill time. So they had wrestlers cutting uh, sort of shoot promos and, uh, well, working shoot promos uh, in backstage and hyping up the matches and um, yeah, and it, it was just a big cluster, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. Uh, I think Jeff Jarrett just did a podcast about it as well, but I've yet to listen to it. But yeah, it was a disaster, almost a disaster. But luckily, they got everyone back in the building. Yeah, like I said, they kept mentioning this. I had no idea at all what they were on about. That's quite interesting. Um, the match starts so quickly with Sting attempting the Scorpion Deathlock numerous times within like the first minute and then straight away we're out in the crowd aren't we fighting in the audience fighting in the aisle way fighting up into the into the seats and then we get the first bit of interference from scott steiner he uses a chair on sting's knee and that kind of sets up the i suppose the story they're telling for the rest of the match because sting is then selling the knee and jarrett is also then working over the knee um, we have the figure four uh, we have a few attempts at the stroke which was jarrett's um finishing move at the time uh steiner interferes some more christian and steiner effectively get thrown out by the referee because it does get a bit daft doesn't it the amount of times they're in the ring out the ring and, and and throwing weapons around and so on we get the belt thrown into the ring uh, and this is basically the finish here isn't it danny mm-hmm. if you want to talk us through that yep so uh the it, to me this was all about the story because this was a I believe a near 10 month storyline at this point. And it, w- it would go on until October. And uh, so they, they was feuding. And I remember thinking, no, there's no way they would end it on like a, such a bland pay-per-view like this in August. But um, that's like the whole thing is about a story where at the end where Christian, he just, um, he rolls it. He just, he comes back out with the guitar and then just waffles Sting in the head with it. I remember just thinking, just, I mean, if you think back to yourself, like a time when you was a child and you was just watching the television and thinking, oh, he did that, that bastard, why did he do it? <laughs> and, uh, um, see, I'm yeah. the other, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly different with that. I can remember yeah. a moment mm. where, as a kid who still mm. believed, mm. I reacted. But I cheered for the bad guy. My mum, yeah. my mum used to. My mum says I've said this so many times on the podcast in the past. But mm. the my mum says um, about how weird I was because I wanted Hogan to lose all the time. I was always a, I was always a Ric Flair fan, a Rick Rude fan. Mm. I, I liked the bad guys, and she thought that was weird. But the whole barbershop window incident with Shawn Michaels super kicking Janetti, throwing him through the window, and so on. I remember sitting at my nan's house and watching that. It was mm. January 92, I believe. So I'd have been 10, maybe. And I celebrated when Shawn Michaels did that. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't tell you why. I don't know why. I mean, Shawn, now nah, I use the phrase quite regularly, but Shawn's my guy. He's my favorite mm. wrestler of all time. Him and Ric Flair are the, the, the two for me. But yeah. as a 10-year-old, I didn't know what was happening. I knew this guy had just done something hideous by the way the commentary was selling it. But I was yeah. cheering Sean even back then. So, <laughs> <laughs> and nothing's changed. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Which is good. But um, the... yeah, I, yeah. Also, oh, no, no. You carry on. I was just going to say that. 
uh, guitar shot just had a, I just remember standing in that pub and just thinking, why did he do that? <laughs> why? And just uh, getting straight to the television set. Uh, I think they aired it on Saturdays here in the UK. And uh, the, um, and watching it just with intent, thinking, what the hell? Why did Christian do that? Why? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, had points to the grade that said that as well. Why Christian? Why? That was kind of a thing for a while, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I was thinking, and it, it led to a very good feud with Rhino. Um, but um, yeah, I just I just remember just believing that he did this on his own because uh, I mean. It, it was it was a lot more easier to believe back then, to be honest with you. <laughs> but yeah. um, I was like just thinking, why did he do that? Yeah. <laughs> that guitar shot as well, just so people are, are aware. When we say guitar shot, it's not the standard. Um, both guys stood in the ring. Christian, it looks like he's helping Sting and then turns and hits him. Sting has actually gone to the top rope, um, which is a sight in itself because Sting is not a small man. Sting has gone to the top rope and he's jumping off the top rope to hit Jarrett with a top rope splash. Mm. And I suppose Allah, Shawn Michaels, Shelton Benjamin, in a way. If you remember mm. when Shelton Benjamin came off the top rope and got caught with a super kick by Shawn yeah. Michaels. Very similar timing to that, where Sting comes off the top rope in a splash. So he's almost effectively jumping head first, almost like almost torpedo-esque, I suppose. Mm. Jarrett turns and just nails it with a guitar in midair. As he's still, you know, he's flying through the air head first and he gets just destroyed with this guitar shot. And he's, he must be still five, six foot in the air when he's hit with this guitar. It's quite a spectacular moment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And one that always sticks out to me when I think of good heel turns that really made me feel that just made me just, just angry as a child. <laughs> and that's brilliant as well. If they can, if they can garner that reaction from yourself, that's, that's exactly what they're looking for. So, yep, definitely. Yeah, and then obviously Jarrett picks up the win, retains his championship. Christian walks away, it's smiling in that smug grin way that he tends to. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, again, I enjoyed this because it was Sting. I enjoyed seeing Jarrett, the old TNA set, Don West and Mike Tanay on commentary. I think there was a bit too much on the outside for me mm. personally. Yeah. But that finish, that moment there, the timing of it, everything, that, that took my breath away. And it, what, that's why I um, chose it on this list because that was I chose it for the, the for the surprise element, and uh, well, shock slash surprise. And uh, I mean, even now I still watch wrestling to be surprised and shocked, but it's so rare these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Back when you're younger, well, especially when I was younger, there was no real internet around. No. Uh, no. So what happened on screen, even though it happened four or five days earlier in the States, mm. when we got it, it was still a surprise. Yeah, and definitely. That, was, that makes memories to me, my friends. That makes memories. Okay, that leaves us with one final match to look at before we uh, get to ranking them four down to one. Um, and that was my suggestion. I brought forward Ravishing Rick Rude versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a 30-minute Ironman match from Beach Blast 1992 WCW pay-per-view. Most people listening now will not be surprised in the slightest I opted for a WCW contest. But there was a reason for this. Uh, Danny and I messaged back and forth. Um, Danny said he hadn't really seen much from the 80s and very early 90s. Uh, all the matches we have here are... WWE or TNA based and from 
sort of 2000 onwards, I guess, 2005 onwards even. Yeah. So I wanted to go back a bit further have, uh, and just sort of give, um, I suppose playing devil's advocate potentially, give an alternative to the main options we had in the other three. So Danny, I suppose really it's, it's more of a case of what did you think of this? Had you seen this before? Um, are you, uh, were you a fan of what you watched? What, what were your general thoughts? Um, so when you messaged me this, I remember thinking I did not even know WCW had a pay-per-view called Beach Blast. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I watched um, this match. I, I actually really enjoyed it, but there was a huge difference between what you see, what what the first three matches in the um, the aspect of selling, because this match to me was all about selling, mm-hmm. and I actually really enjoyed it. It was slower paced, um, but I would say there was more of a story here than especially towards the finish uh, than a lot of matches that you see today. Um, yeah. I, and I think I did message you that I was a really big Rick Rude fan, but uh, right, yeah. haven't really seen a lot of his matches, especially from the early nineties, late eighties and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I actually, I want to thank you for this cause I really did enjoy this match. Oh, well, you're, you're very welcome, mate. I mean, I just, uh, I, I just suggested it. It's Rude and Steamboat who did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a very interesting contest. The United States title is not on the line for a start, which Rude is the current champion. That that seemed odd to me anyway. But we get a very quick start. Uh, Rude hurts his ribs early on. Steamboat works these ribs for pretty much 10 minutes, I think. Mm. You know, he, he's, he's dominating the early part of the match. We get um, Steamboat applying a bear hug. And that's an odd one for me, a baby face using a bear hug. I don't really remember many baby faces using that move. It's more of a heel maneuver, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, Ricky Steamboat is it's just all Steamboat early on. He puts on a very good looking tight Boston crab. Ventura, Jesse Ventura on commentary comes out of a line here that tickled me saying he about Steamboat saying that he's sadistic. He's like <laughs> Dr. No or the Goldfinger. It's like... <laughs> making a James Bond reference, but even in 92, those films were 30 years old. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I'm not too sure what he's aiming at there. Yeah. Um, we don't get any decisions until we have roughly 22 minutes left. Mm. The clock, by the way, is running throughout the whole 30 minutes on the screen, which I find very interesting because WWE don't do that. No. Mostly because they like to manipulate the time, but yeah, they don't, they don't do that. That's 22 true. minutes in, um, with Steamboat dominating, Rude takes the first fall, completely out of the blue, with a handful of tights. Yeah. Um, and then 21 minutes in, it's 2-0, because Rude hits a Rude Awakening out of nowhere uh, and picks up another pinfall. And then 20 minutes in, <laughs> it's it's 2-1, because Rude gets disqualified for jumping off the top rope. Yes, yeah. that's right. It's Bill Watts here at WCW. That's right. Um, I was wondering why that happened. I was like, what the hell is going on? Uh, in the early 90s, you know, at this time, 92 and so on, um, Cowboy Bill Watts was brought in to run WCW. Uh, and he wanted to make several changes and take the product back to, I suppose rules of yesteryear that served him well in, in his own territory, his own promotion, which I believe was mid-safe. And he he basically outruled moves off the top rope. You couldn't jump. Well, it, it's more um, it's more of a stipulation than that. You, you cannot jump off the top rope onto your opponent. But if you suplex them or throw them off the top rope, that's allowed. But you're not allowed to jump off, your, off the top rope onto your opponent. Um, they also removed the mats on the outside of the ring. 
in a, in a way to try and get guys to stay in the ring and wrestle rather than fight on the outside. He was not very popular at all at this time, Bill Watts, when he was making these changes in WCW. Uh, a lot of the wrestlers were not a fan of him, his abrasive attitude. He was a bit of a bully as well. Um, and I think he ultimately got fired because of some racist comments he made and Time uh, well, Time Warner and, and the, the company that owns WCW, um, just basically you know, Ted Turner and so on, effectively just turned around and was like, yeah, we can't be having that, and, and just got shot at him. But yeah, that's that's why Rude got disqualified for jumping off the top rope. But that was then 2-1 to Steamboat. The next minute, it's 3-1. With a quick quick cradle, Rude pins Steamboat again. So we've had no no decisions up to the first eight minutes. And then in the next four, we get four. So <laughs> how did you think that was booked? How did you feel about that? I actually like that a lot. Um, Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura telling the story, um, especially when Rick Rude jumped from the top rope. Um, as somebody who's never seen this match, I, w- I would be thinking, why is Rick Rude doing that? And then obviously the commentary helped a lot. Um, Rick Rude selling in the first 10 minutes of this match, like you said, the rib was uh, just, just brilliant. It's something you just do so, not see at all. Yeah, it's so good, isn't it, selling those ribs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way it was booked is, is really good. It kept the fans interested as well, which I'll talk about in a bit. Yeah, sure. We then, um, where were we? We were at 3-1, weren't we? Rude sells his ribs hurting, even when he's trying to do his uh, his standard sort of hip swivel pose, the ladies in the crowd. He has to stop half swivel because his rib, ribs are hurting. Um, that, I, that I thought was brilliant. Lovely little touch. Um, it's then 3-2. When Ricky Steamboat reverses a tombstone attempt um, and hits his own tombstone, there's a massive superplex, which I thought looked incredible. The mm. two of them, they got some height on that suplex, Danny, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was just it was wild. Definitely. Um, we then get it to 3-3 because Steamboat bridges out of a pin, turns it into a backslide uh, and, and gets the pinfall there. And then we get, I, I think, a very creative finish and it's odd because um rude applies a sleeper hold with four minutes left and he holds it on for a long long time but part of me dislikes this because if you watch the likes of ufc and so on if somebody's putting you to sleep you want to be out of there as soon as possible yeah but he's in this hold literally and i'm not exaggerating literally for minutes um however it's still if you suspend your disbelief, it works well because then with 35 seconds left, they kind of recycle the WrestleMania eight finish between Bret Hart and Roddy Piper, where Rude has a sleeper hold on Steamboat. Steamboat kind of climbs the ropes, kicks off and lands back on his opponent and pins him with 35 seconds left. And then Rude goes absolutely crazy looking for the pin again and again, clothesline goes for a cover big right hand goes for a cover crossbody goes for a cover desperately trying to get the pinfall back to make it four each before the time runs out but ultimately the, the time does run out those 35 seconds come and go and ricky steamboat wins the the iron man contest four falls to three uh so danny then is this the first time you've seen this did you say yep yep is uh so I've never, what were your never... overall thoughts then and you, and you said about the crowd being interested and so on Yep. Uh, the biggest thing that, uh, other than Rick Rude coming out with the 
title belt over his robe. Um, <laughs> the yes. biggest, um, the biggest thing that stood out to me was uh, the last. I'd say about the last thirty-five seconds. There's a child in the uh, crowd, and you can just see him just jumping up and down, especially as the clock's counting down, and he's like fully invested into this finish and he's just jumping up and down he's like come on come on come on Ricky Steamboat hold on hold on hold on and I was just thinking like like, but did you notice the crowd in this match was there was a lot of like elderly people yeah WCW at the time was very much that was the audience they they had I mean it's, it's the old NWA Jim Crockett promotions kind of audience the sort of down safe territories and so on yeah um, and you get families who would go. Um, the NWA used to run big Thanksgiving night and Christmas night shows and families would all attend together and so on. So you get that kind of elderly crowd there as well because they've been going for generations, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's kind of like the old world of sport crowd, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that as I was going back to him, uh, that kid, he was just jumping up and down, and uh, he, he you could just tell he was so invested that it made you invested into this finish as well, and you could just tell everyone in that arena. Well, not every single person, like, but a lot of people did want Ricky Steamboat to win, and uh, as you said about the finish, um, very much like Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, and uh, yeah, uh, really enjoyed this match overall. Good. Good. I'm glad. There's there's quite a few good matches on this show, to be fair. The opener of this pay-per-view, if you've never seen Beach um, Beach Pass Night 2 before, the opener of the pay-per-view is a cruiserweight or light heavyweight title match between Johnny Polo, who eventually became Raven. Uh, well, Scotty Flamingo, he's called here, sorry. And Brian Pillman. You get uh, Sting versus Cactus Jack, Force Count Anywhere. I mean, Dave, uh, Dave Meltzer rated that incredibly high. He really liked that. And then in the main event, you've got the Steiners wrestling Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Terry Gordy um, in, a, in a tag title match. Some, some absolutely brilliant stuff hidden away on this pay-per-view that I think kind of goes under the radar a great deal. But I'm a massive Rude fan. Steamboat is one of the best baby faces of all time for me. Mm. So... That's why this match kind of stood out as, as my suggestion to go into the four for, for you to have a look at as well. So then, I suppose as we draw to a close this evening, we come to the, 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 the sort of ranking part of the show. So from four down, obviously number one being the best. So starting at four, Danny, how would you place these four matches in order of your preference? I would say number one would be the TNA cage match between Ken Anderson and Kurt Angle. That would be your most favourite, yes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two would be, I would say, the Hard Justice uh, Christian versus Sting match. Uh, number three would be Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat. And number four would be the Basham Brothers match because a lot of the times it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've gone slightly different. Um, my, my fourth choice, so my least favourite, is actually the Sting-Jarrett match purely because of how much interference there was. It was just too much too much going on, and I think the referee at times was made to look stupid because mm. of what was going on behind him, and it just it just got to a point where it was so much outside interference, it was silly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, number three for me is the SmackDown four-way tag, because I got a big kick out of this. I really enjoyed even though it was just, you know, if anything, okay, it was a title change, but you could explain it away. It's just a throwaway TV match to get the belts off Ray and RVD. 
But to me, it was much more than that. I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed watching the Bashams as well, because I've not mm. seen any of their work for years. So that was that was great for me. And then the last two, oh, see, this has gone back and forth, back and forth in my mind so many times, because Rude versus Steamboat is one of my favorite uh, early 90s feuds. This is one of my favorite early 90s WWE matches. I'm a big fan of Rude and Steamboat. But yeah, Angle and Anderson in the cage, especially the last 10 minutes, is just so, so good. And Kurt Angle, is he's the man, isn't he? He's just yeah. brilliant. Yesterday, I thought I had my mind made up. This morning, I woke up. I thought something different. Um, at work earlier, I changed my mind again. So it goes back and forth, back and forth. But I think I'm going to go number two, Rude Steamboat, and just just marginally, I'm going to go with this week, number one out of our four, Kurt Angle versus Ken Anderson as, as the best of the four we've looked at this week, Danny. Yep, that sounds good. Yeah, so there we go. Um, I have had a fantastic time looking back on these matches, uh, watching them back, making my notes, getting ready to speak with you. And then I've had a brilliant time speaking with you tonight, my friend. Yeah. Um, before I let you depart, do you want to let everybody out there know whereabouts they can find you on, well, online, the Twitterverse, or whatever people refer to it as? Yep. Uh, well, just on uh, Twitter, I'm at Scottish Juggler. I know I don't sound Scottish, um, but I am. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm, you can find me on there just tweeting random videos of just wrestlers selling or just weird storylines or something like that as I do every day and uh, yeah I just want to say thank you for having me on your show and uh, I've listened to it every week and I'm really happy to be here oh mate I appreciate that thank you thank you so so much yeah it's, it's you've always been a a big support to well so many people in this this crazy little community we have I suppose we have our own little our own little bubble inside the wrestling community with the likes mm. of uh, the guys from Bang Bang, UTT, Magzi, Radio Techers, and so on. And you've always been a big supporter of everyone here um, from from those shows, uh, and including Chain Wrestling and, and SJP, myself. So I've had a great time talking to you, my friend. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing a few wrestling stories and having a little look back at some some crazy wrestling there. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No worries. You can find me on Twitter at at SJP Words. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SJP Wrestling Pod. Um, we are now the exclusive property, I guess, of Radio Techers. So go and find them online as well. Give the YouTube page with Techers a like, a subscribe, hit the little bell, all that good stuff that you need to do. And also, when you get there, have a little look out for Chain Wrestling, the show that I do live every Monday night with my good friend, Mr. Mag. Um, you can get the audio version as a podcast later in the week but the live shows are 9pm UK time on a Monday 4pm Eastern have a look out for that it's always a bit of a giggle I always have fun Um, but ultimately at SJP Words for myself on Twitter and I'd share the links to every other show that I'm involved with anyway again Danny one last time thank you so so much for joining me my friend thank you very much and to everyone else thank you for listening thank you for listening